Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point. Welcome to our kickoff of the Remnant series. I want to just to uh, reinforce uh, a couple announcements that Pastor Aaron just made. Uh, about 12 years ago when I was at Williston, we did the Mark Gunger series there as a church. It was hilarious. And it was so applicable. So I want to encourage you uh, to take advantage of this offering. And like anything, you don't wait till you have a problem to go to a marriage seminar. You should strengthen your marriage. You should exercise in a good way. And this will help you do that. So I would encourage you to seriously consider um, participating in that marriage seminar. Also, just want to uh, expand a little bit on our, our, our personal study. Uh, I, I think you should do a group that's great, but listen, you can get a study guide and do it yourself. You can grab a couple and do it at work. You can grab a couple and do it at home with your family. Basically, we just want you to do it. And this stuff has been written uh, by us and is very applicable to us as a church and to this area. So I think you'll find that it's a great companion study to this sermon series that we're going to go through for the next uh, couple of months. So I just want to encourage you in that way. For a long time, Christian influence in our culture has been declining. There have been and continue to be pockets of revival and awakening. I think that's happening here. We have these pockets of revival and awakening. I remember as a young man, I was involved a bit with the Jesus People Movement in the Twin Cities. That was fantastic. And it was a pocket of revival and awakening. But if you look at numbers of true followers of God right now, and you just look at it from a statistical standpoint, we are by no means even close to being a majority. We are a minority minority anymore. Um, Christianity has been subtly and not so subtly pushed to the margins of culture, and that's been taking place for a long time. Some of you who are older may remember this. I remember this distinctly. When I went to kindergarten, our day would start with our principal getting on the public address system and having a word of prayer. That's how our day would open. And I remember in the middle of my kindergarten year that he no longer could do that. It wasn't proper to do that in a public school setting. It was indicative of what was taking place at the time. Christianity was being pushed to the margins. Some 40 years ago, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Warren E. Berger, said this, and I'm just going to quote him. This is 40 years ago. We are no longer a Christian nation. He said that 40 years ago. Let that sink in for just a moment. We don't have a bully pulpit, so to speak, in our culture. We can't force a Christian worldview onto our culture. We just don't have the power or the position uh, to do that. God's people finding themselves in the minority, being marginalized a bit, you know what? That's pretty normative when you look at the Bible. Happened all the time. It seems like God thrives in the margins of a culture. God's people do best when they aren't in the center of power, so to speak. So I don't know if this is necessarily bad. It's just what's going on. And we're going to look at an example of, of this very thing this morning and take some things away from that. But I want us to begin to understand who we really are and see ourselves for whom we really are. In our fall series remnant, we're going to unpack what it means to be 
of a remnant status. Now, remnant just means a small remaining quantity of something. A small remaining quantity of something. The Bible is full of remnant situations for God's people. And God, every single time, showed himself faithful and moved mightily on behalf of that type of people. So are you ready to look with me honestly at who we are in this time of history? That's my question. Because right now we can kind of think in this setting, this is pretty cool, isn't it? We can think this is normal. Just think about this with me, right, uh, for a moment. In Brookings right now, including the college, we have about 37,000 people, 36,000 people. On a given Sunday, about 5,000 people will be in church. How many are not in church today? Come on, some of you are math majors at college, amen? It's 32,000 or so. So is that a majority or not? That's our culture. It's worse in cities. That's the reality that we're, we're facing right now. We have to understand the times we live in. I want to give you three questions, I think, that will begin to help us to understand the times that we live in. Let me just give them to you, and then I'm going to use a biblical example and show you how they apply. We have to ask this question, what time is it? And it's not 1026. That's not the answer. I had to look at the clock at the back of the church. No, when I ask that question, and when you ask that question, you have to say, okay, what time in history are we part of? What's going on? What are the peculiars to this era? What should we begin to understand and discern as God's people? Then we need to ask the second question. What kind of people are we called to be in this time we find ourselves in? What does God want us to do? How does he want us to act? How does he want us to interact with our culture? And thirdly, we need to ask this question, what are we doing to serve these times as God's people? Now let me give you an example of how this works itself out. I'm going to use an example from the Bible. It's found in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 11. We're going we're gonna to see in this example that, that there needed to be an understanding of the time they were in. Uh, they needed to understand how to address those times and then how to serve those times. So let me read this to you. It's a letter that I'm going to read to you from the prophet Jeremiah to the exiles that were carried off by the Babylonian Empire, the exiles from Judah, okay? So Jeremiah is writing to the exiles from Judah that were carried off by this Babylonian Empire. Listen to what he says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Who carried them into exile? God. Who's in control? It's very important to get that. It's very important to get that. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that your son, um, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And you know what we do with this scripture? We take that last verse, we pluck it right out of context and quote it like crazy. But what's the context of that promise? 
exile, hardship, disassociation with the land they grew up in. This is some hard prophecy that Jeremiah shares with the people of Israel. What time was it for these ancient Israelites? It was a time of exile. That's not a good word. That's not fun. That's a hard word. What kind of people were they called to be? Faithful people who lived, who continued to do life, who had sons and daughters, who encouraged sons and daughters to marry and have sons and daughters. God's saying, keep living. What were they to do to serve the times? They were to pray for the cities that they found themselves in. That's a hard word. They're exiles. They don't want to be in these cities. And God says, you pray for the cities where I plant you. Pray that they prosper because then you too will prosper. What time is it? What is God calling us to do concerning those times? How do we serve those times? These are really kind of important questions to ask. See, we live right now in a divided country. Come on now, the last election showed us that. Right down the middle, divided over so many key issues. That's some of the times that we live in. We, according to studies, are more spiritual than ever as a culture, but least Christian than ever as a culture. So there's a spiritual hunger by people out there, but it's not for Christianity, or at least Christianity is not meeting uh, that need. We are not the majority us Christians, that's the times we find ourselves in. Just like in Jeremiah's day, what kind of people is God calling us to be? Faithful, amen? Faithful people, committed more now to God than ever, more reliant upon God than ever. See, programs aren't going to be what speak to this culture, and, and doing things with excellence in church service like this isn't going to be what speaks to this culture. What's going to speak to this culture is people like you on fire for Jesus Christ. And God doing the supernatural through his body and through his people. That's what's going to speak to this culture. We need to be faithful people in the times we find ourselves into. What are we to do to serve this culture? Well, we're to pray for it. We're to pray that God would allow his people like you and me to have peace to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to pray for the prosperity the, uh, the place we find ourselves in. We need to cry out to God to move. Now, I, I've been musing about this Remnant series for, for months. And I've been asking myself, what is the fundamental key perspective, God, that your people need to have during this time? And I think I came upon it uh, in, in, in hearing some things that Stephen Neff shared. Stephen Neff uh, put together a, a remnant series here a while back. Uh, uh, we used some of his materials to write this series. He's going to come and speak to us on October 22nd. And you're not reacting excited enough when I say that. This guy wrote Fault Lines. He wrote Soul Shift. I, 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 I really respect him. He's a, he, he, he's a big figure in the Wesleyan church, and he's going to appear October 22nd, and I got to get sit where you sit. And I get to listen to him talk. And I am so excited about that. Um, please, if you're not excited, fake it for my sake, okay? But anyway, thank you. Thanks, Dave. You get the candy bar after service. 
But he came up with a key perspective that God's people need to have in this kind of time. And let me just share that with you. I think it's worth sharing. In our time that we find ourselves in, the most powerful will be the humble. And the humble will be powerful. See, that's how the Lord works. He uses the humble. He uses the remnant who call on him. He doesn't need the powerful. He doesn't need the vain for sure. He doesn't need the headliners, the stars. He doesn't need the bigger-than-life people. He uses the humble person dependent upon him, the strangers to this world, the aliens to this culture, so to speak, who call on his name and ask him to move in a supernatural way. This is the hope we have for times such as this. Here's our big thought for this morning's message. I want you to grapple with this. Please hear this. I put a lot of thought into making this big thought. Just hear what this says. We are called to face the times we are in squarely with honesty and courage. Don't despair about our times. Don't despair about our times. Don't become bitter during this time. Don't become unfaithful during this time. Trust in a sovereign God with faith that he is in control. That's what our times demand of God's people. I think what we can succumb to in times of turmoil like we're facing, and we are facing some times of turmoil, aren't we? I mean, Texas is underwater. Irma's hitting Florida. Out west, they're having a huge campfire they don't want to have. It's burning up. There's terrorism all over the place. Our country is literally divided. Economically, we're kind of always shaky when we look at it from that standpoint. We see a lot of anger and a lot of hate crime happening in our culture. We see all kinds of things going on that can cause stress and distress. And and you know what? What can happen? We can become cynical and kind of give up on culture and say, fooey, we can't do that as God's people. We're the remnant called to call on God. We cannot do that. We can, if we're older especially, think there were bygone eras that were much better. Can we recreate that now? How can we go back to the way it was? It was so good. You see, it wasn't so good back there. And you see, that doesn't work. What we, what we need to do is be present in our times facing them squarely, not longing for some other time. Amen? I think we need to become a lot like the Apostle Paul who says, I don't look behind me. I look in front of me, and I press towards the goal ordained for me, marked out for me. We need to become people pressing into the moment that God has given us. We can't go back to some time in the past that doesn't exist anymore. We can't think, I'm just going to isolate and honker down Because that world's big and bad out there. God doesn't give us that option. He said, be in the world, but not of the world. We have to be in the world, but not of the world. We can't say, I'm going to isolate from the world. That's not an option. Jesus didn't give us that option. You know what I see happening? Escapism a lot. I do this a little bit too. I'm a daydreamer. Anybody a daydreamer in here? I can sit in a lecture or, or, or I can hear something and I can realize for 15 minutes I've been gone in my own little world. It was good, too. I had a good time. Some of you are probably good at that, too. 
but we can't escape, and here's what I mean. I hear a lot of people saying, well, we just have to, you know, hopefully Jesus will come soon. And really what they're saying is, this world that we live in is hard, and I want to get out of it. It's escapism instead of longing for the Lord Jesus. We're supposed to pray for his returning. We're supposed to long for his returning, but not to escape hard things. We're supposed to long for his returning because we love him so much. And we want his kingdom to come and his will to be done, but not to escape some hard times. After all, much of the world has it way worse than us, right? And things have been bad forever. So we need to long for Jesus for the right reasons, not to escape. We're called to face the times we are in squarely with honesty and courage. Don't despair about our times. Don't become bitter or unfaithful. Trust in the sovereign God with faith that he's in control. Living in challenging times is a constant theme in the Bible. I'm going to give you one example this morning from the book of um, Habakkuk. So for a few moments, we're going to just look at his story and see how it applies to us, because it does directly. This ancient prophet Habakkuk faced some similar situations that we face here in our culture today. He lived in times when their people were literally being assimilated by a different culture. And he wondered, first of all, when you read the book of Habakkuk, it's only three chapters long. It's short. He begins the book by saying, God, where are you? Your people are doing so many bad things, and it's just like you're silent. You're not doing anything. You're not taking care of the problem. Where are you, God? Our nation is becoming wicked. They're turning their back on you. And then God says, I'm going to do something, Habakkuk. I'm going to do something here. I'm going to send the Babylonians to tear you off into captivity. And he goes, whoa, 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 time out. That's not what I meant, God. How can you use more wicked people than us to bring judgment on your people? So we're going to look at a message from Habakkuk this morning. Habakkuk means to wrestle. I had some buddies in high school wrestled. It's a strange sport. I, it's so close to another human being. <laughs> it just gives me the willies to think about it. I just... Some of you who know me close, uh, well, no, I don't like that kind of thing. Ben is going to hug me now because I said that after service. Ben's our college pastor. Every time I say something like this, he gives me an inappropriate hug. And so uh, a really long, deep one. I don't like a man beard on my beard. It's just, it's, uh, I get shivers. At any rate, I'm not kidding. I have a problem with it. I didn't get over that problem. But at any rate, so... Uh, what was I? Okay. Habakkuk means wrestle, all right? I'm back with you now again. And it, there was this intimate struggling of the prophet with God. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? I don't understand what you're up to. And just when he thinks he's pleaded his case and God does something even more outrageous and he goes, oh man, I don't get that either. And you know what? It's okay for you and I to wrestle with God a little bit when it comes to these tough things. We just got to let him win the match. Amen? We've got to let him pin us. Say, I'm in control. You're not in control. And Habakkuk asked a familiar question. God, what are you doing? I think a lot of us will ask that question, what are you doing? Here's how he asked it. It's found in Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 4. Listen to what he says. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? 
Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed. Injustice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. He's just talking about the nation of Judah here. He's looking at his little nation of Judah. And he's saying, this is what we're come to, God. What's going on? Your people aren't your people. Don't we see injustices? oftentimes and ask God what are you doing why don't you do something isn't that a common question well God does do something listen to what he says in Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 5 through 6 look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told I'm raising up the Babylonians that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to see dwellings not their own. So here's God's answer to Habakkuk. I am in control, basically saying, I am in control of this. And this is how I'm handling it. I'm raising up the Babylonians. That was not the solution that the prophet wanted. He thought, why are you raising up more ungodly people than us to take care of us? At one point, he actually asked God, how can you be silent when the wicked swallow up the more righteous? He's doing this comparison and contrast kind of thing. Don't we wonder these kind of things today? God, why are the ones who disdain you and why are the ones who deny you so frequently the ones who have power? Why are they in control? What are you up to, God? What are you doing? I think we, we grapple with the same kind of questions. And I think Habakkuk was wondering, why are you letting your people, God, be pushed into the margins? You know why? Because in the margins, we have to depend on God. Don't we? We can't depend on programs. We can't depend on, you know, a charismatic leader. We can't depend on you know, having great apologetics, whatever you want to put in there. In the margins, we have to depend on God. And he is pushing little Judah to the place where they had to depend on him. The margins is not a bad place if it pushes us to depend on God. So Habakkuk complains about the seemingly unfairness of God, and he goes and stations himself, we're told, on the ramparts, waiting for an answer from God. I see it this way. What are you doing, God? He's sitting there with arms crossed, legs crossed, saying, I've given you pretty good arguments here. What are you going to do now? How are you going to answer me? I don't understand what you're doing, God. And God gives a long answer. It's worth a read. You should read Habakkuk. It's just three chapters. One, two, three. It takes you literally ten minutes to read. But verse 4 is super instructive to you and is super instructive uh, to me. It's super instructive to the Israelites at the time. Basically, God says, you stay faithful. That's what you're to do in this time because I'm a God who will take care of things in my time because I'm in control. God will do right in this time and we're to remain faithful. So what are God's people to do in times such as ours, in times such as Habakkuk? We're, we're to live by faith. I know this is not that profound, but it is. We're to live by faith trusting God to do right in his time. That's what we do in times such as this, in times of great turmoil. We can't evade the reality we find ourselves in. 
We can't look to escape the times we find ourselves in. We have to understand the times we find ourselves in and stand fast in our God and trust Him more than ever. God truly is in control, and it's time for God's people to actually live like they believe that. Amen? That God is in control. So Habakkuk receives this revelation from God. Then he does something what we need to do in our times. He earnestly begins to seek God to move. Move in our times, God. Do great things in our times. He turns his attention from the seemingly unfairness of his cultural situation. He turns from that. He says, I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to begin to look at you, God. Move, God, in our time. Move like you've moved in former times. And he begins to super seek after God in that way. So this is an insight from Habakkuk that we got to grasp this morning. He doesn't try to escape the times. He doesn't wish for different times. He doesn't just accept the times he's in as this is the way it's going to be. He seeks God for the times he finds himself in. He seeks God for the times he finds himself in. Now, be open to this. You're mostly young in this service, but be open to what I'm about to share with you. If you're older like me, 60, 70, 80, 90, Maybe we have someone older than that. I don't know. You've done some life. You've lived through some different times. Sometimes we're good times. Sometimes maybe not so good. A tendency when we get into tough times like we're finding ourselves in right now is to long for a different time. To say, if we could just go back to that time when things were done this way, then it would really be good. And you know what happens is the tendency of this group of people is to long for an era gone by and to get a little bit mad and irritated and detached because of the times we find ourselves in. And I tell you what, in that place, you are no good to this world or to God because we're to face the times squarely that we're in. We're in the present moment we're in, amen? Now listen, I'm going to turn the tables a little bit. I'm talking to you who are younger. You've only known this time. Right? You think this is normal. Some of you may even think, what's the big deal? Why are you all jacked up about the times you live in? It's not all that bad. You can tend to be apathetic and think, ah, this is just the way it is. No big deal. We'll just live like this. Really? See, both situations give us to the wrong place. Both approaches. We're supposed to seek God for a move. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be satisfied with the world like this. We're supposed to be part of Jesus' redemption plan. We're supposed to be actively participating in thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We can't afford to long for some time gone by. It's gone by. We're in this present moment. We can't be satisfied with what's going on, thinking this is okay. It is not okay. We have to seek the face of God. If we don't, who will? You getting what I'm saying here? We have to seek the face of God for a move of God. Can I get an amen? Because that was a pretty good point. i got to coach you up a little bit here. So I want us to pray what Habakkuk prayed. Because see, that's where he kind of turned the corner in the book of Habakkuk. He kind of goes through this wrestling with God. And then he gets pinned. And he goes, oh, I need to seek a move of God. Here's what I need to seek. And I want us to pray a prayer he prayed. I want us to pray it out loud because it's so applicable to our time. Let's pray it out loud. It's going to appear on the board behind me here, and then you can pray it with me. Here we go. Lord, I have heard of your fame. 
I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So what is he doing here? He's praying, God, move. God, do things in our time you've done in former times. So what do we do in times such as this? We don't get cynical. We don't get bitter. We don't get detached. We don't get apathetic. We don't think this is just the way it is. We do that. We begin to pray, God, move in our midst. Move in our culture. Do supernatural things that only you can do. Do in our day what you've done in times gone by. Amen? That's what we do. The focus of uncertain times like this must be the seeking of a genuine move of God. That's where Habakkuk takes us. I love how he ends his book. It's a critical perspective that we have to begin to embrace as God's people. Here's what he says. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. Here's how we could pray that. Though Texas is underwater and Irma's about to hit Florida, though fires are blazing out west, though our country literally is divided in half, politically speaking, though there seems to be hate abounding and, and people not getting along, though it seems like the economy's stalling and things aren't going like we want, though it seems like neighborly love has kind of gone by, though it seems like morality is a thing of foregone generations, yet, Lord, I will rejoice in you as God's people. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is indeed my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer, and he enables me to go on heights. Amen? That's what the remnant has to begin to believe with all their heart. Habakkuk faced the times he found himself in. He trusted God. We're called to face the times we are in squarely with honesty and courage. Don't despair about our times. Don't become bitter or resentful. Trust in the sovereign God that he is in control. Place your faith in him. Let me end with just two action suggestions to you. And then next week we're going to dive in this more and the next week after that more and I think this is going to be just a, a series that builds on itself. Here's an action plan for this week. We need to begin to live lives of quiet protests, I call it. Just quiet protests. Just live for Jesus. Live your life utterly differently because you're a Jesus follower. Live a life of quiet protest. You don't have to conform to those things contrary to God. Just live for God. And I call this living a life of quiet protest. Live differently just because you love Jesus Christ. Just do it. Don't talk about it. Just do it. So when someone looks at your life and they look at it say, Sean, they go, he's so different. Why? He's happy when everyone's sad around him. He's a person of integrity when everyone's lying. He doesn't cheat on his travel vouchers. He says something. He does something. He, what's making him so different and why? He's living a life of quiet protest. He's living for Jesus. He's living differently. We can do that. That's what the remnant needs to do in times such as this. Secondly, we need to have an outward focus. The times we live in call for boldness and courage in expression of faith. When we're the recipients of 
oppression and opposition, the natural tendency is to what? Hole up and say, fooey with you all. We cannot do that. We cannot afford to do that. We have to continue to have an outward, caring focus for the culture we find ourselves in. We are God's men and women for times such as this. We cannot shirk our duty when things are tough. We have to pray and seek a genuine moving of God. We are called to be in this world, but not of this world. We are called to be in this world, but not of this world. Amen? We can't just escape. We can't just say, I'm going to go over here in my own little, you know, Christian community and live life and the hell with the rest of the world. We cannot do that. We have to be in this world, but not out of this world. And so live your faith out loud and boldly. Live it in a quiet protest. Do what's right in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a beginning point of, of, of remnant. But we're going to get into much more than this as the series continues on. So for today, that's good enough. Amen? So let's pray, and then we're going to have pork sandwiches. Yay. So would you bow your head, please? Lord God, I pray that if nothing else, everyone present this morning is kind of getting a sense of, of this series and what it's about. And I, 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 you know, God, you're the God of the underdog. You're the God of the marginalized. You're the God of the ones being minimized. I think in the Bible, I look at, wow, you're the God of Abraham. He, he wasn't anybody until you came into his life. You're the God of David. David defeated Goliath. Everything in the world, he said, said Goliath would annihilate this little boy. But you're the God of the marginalized. You're the God of the underdog. And then you just go through all the minor prophets and all the major prophets and the kings and, that did well. Just so frequently things are so utterly hopeless. And then you flip over to the New Testament. I can't believe you built what we see today from 12 guys that Jesus discipled that were so out of it. You're just amazing, God, what you do and how you move in the lives of so many people that seemingly have no social status. No power whatsoever. So I pray, Lord, that we would live a life of quiet protest. I pray we'd live a life of outward focus. I pray that we would face the times we're in with honesty, squarely, Lord, acknowledging what we're, what we're about, that, Lord, we wouldn't become people who are disillusioned or cynical or escaping or isolating, but rather, Lord, we would be people who grab a hold of you firmly, and trust in you for these times and call on your name in these times. Having great faith that you are in control and counting on you to move mightily, Lord, and do things in this time that only you can do. God, create in us that kind of a faithfulness. God, I love the people of Grace Point. I just pray you fill them with your Holy Spirit today. I just pray we really follow after you hard. And I pray, Lord, that we'd never be ashamed of the gospel and that we'd have a ready answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Bless the people of Grace Point this day, Lord. May this fall really kick us into a journey that we all need to take. I pray these things in your name and by your blood. And all God's people said,